Welcome to episode 236 of Destination Linux. Now, whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name's Noah, and I'm delighted to be here with you today. I've got my co-hosts, Ryan, Michael, and Jill. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to ask the question, are we eating our own. It's okay to be critical. It's okay to call bad things out, but we need to be able to do it in a positive light, don't we? Then we'll cover our tips, tricks, and software picks. Of course, we've got the news and all of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Got just a quick reminder, mark your calendars for Sunday, August 22nd, because at 3 p.m. Eastern or 1900 UTC, we're going to be celebrating 30 years of Linux with a mega fest. In the past, we've done Lugfest and GameFest, where the dealing community gets together to hang out and talk Linux or open source, and GameFest, where we all destroy Ryan in every game we play, because as, as we all know, that Not is the true. goal. And this time, we're going to be combining the Lugfest and the GameFest into the DLN MegaFest. So mark your calendars for August 22nd, because you don't want to miss out on all the fun for the first ever DLN MegaFest. And I want you to know, if you think you're going to kill me, you're wrong. I spent a good chunk of money yesterday getting the 6700 XT, which is, mm. means I'm going to completely destroy you, Michael, because the frames per second <laughs> are going to be so high. That makes me game For those of better. us that don't speak hardware addicts, can you explain to me what a 67 whatchamajigit is? Uh, <laughs> it's a really fast GPU, so I can one-shot no-scope Michael. Well, the question oh, is, sweet. does it have RGB? Because that's that's how you, if it has extra <laughs> RGB, then then I'm scared. But otherwise, Dang it, I'm not sure. I'll have to check. All right. Well, in that case, I'm fine then because I have so much RGB surrounding me. I'm going to be, we're, we're totally going to get those frames. I'm going to frag you. Before we get to the community feedback, I want to let everybody know that we have something really awesome to announce as well, because uh, thanks to the community, Mark Kane created a, an RSS feed for all of the shows. That's right. So we'll have a link in the show notes. You can subscribe to one one feed and get access to and updates to all of the shows for the podcast form, MP3 form. So we'll have it destinationlinux.network slash feed slash all shows. But again, the link will be in the show notes. And we want to thank Mark for making such an awesome project. This is something that yeah. a, a lot of people have been asking for for a while. And I just put the call out to the community and Mark picked up the reins and it was awesome. So thanks again, Mark, for doing this. Uh, link in the show notes. So this week we had someone write into this show, Lucas, and he says, Hey there, thank you for the informative VPN segment. There is no such thing as enough providers, especially since maintaining VPN network is not as complicated as it used to be. However, many leave with the impression that privacy is by definition a subscription model. My friend once told me that he's not able to use PGP because he's not using ProtonMail. But it really is free. I could pipe a message with GPG, print the output on paper, hand it to her in a person on the street with $10 and say, give this to Michael. By the way, can you test that theory? Because I want to see if the message ever gets to Michael. Uh, that is the privacy standpoint. That is by the privacy standpoint secure. Other uh, one was really impressed that my VPN is free. I can provide him a config file for an open VPN client, able to securely connect with 20 other people, static IP, all of those things, uh, advantages he has with his own VPN. People who are watching VPN ads generally are aware of encryption, but the concept of bringing them together and using as a software, not as a service, seems like sci-fi. I think it needs to be more public attention now for the rest of the show. Cheers. So, Noah, 
I think out of everyone here, you have the most experience here in running your own VPN. What say you on this? Yeah. So um, it depends on what you're trying to get out of a VPN, right? And so to a certain degree, there's a lot of times where I'm I'm interested in privacy from the standpoint that I'm trying to protect myself from potential attackers on the network itself. So that a good example of that might be an airport or a coffee shop. In those scenarios, when I'm connecting to Wi-Fi, I have to be thinking, who else might be also connected to this network? What does that network infrastructure look like? Is the IT guy actually know what he's doing? And does he have client separation or excuse me, client isolation on so that the clients can't see each other? Or did the did is are they one of those business owners that just went down to Best Buy and said, Yeah, I'll take that uh, that router right there and they plug it on in and fire fire up an SSID and really you're all just on on one network and, and can share traffic and all of those kinds of things. Is it possible that I have a Bo Weaver among us that is sitting somewhere next to me in the coffee shop and is spoofing an access point name and is actually trying to funnel all of my traffic through through his uh, access point? And so in those kind of scenarios, what I'm trying to do is encrypt all of my packets. Essentially, what we're doing is we're taking a jacket uh, and, and placing it over the packets. And that jacket kind of acts as a, as a form of protection. So it doesn't matter what the packets are underneath the, the jacket. All anybody can see is the encrypted jacket. And then in that scenario, again, I'm sending my packets back to maybe my office or back to my home network. And so that might be an appropriate place to self-host a VPN. And so that way, anytime you're on a public Wi-Fi or public network, you're connecting back to a known point of origin. Some of the other advantages you're going to get by that, of course, is when I go to log into something like Gmail or I go to log into something like my my Apple or iTunes account, it's not I'm not going to get prompted for those, hey, I think you're at a different place. You better reauthenticate this device, all of those kinds of things, because it recognizes your machine and it recognizes the public IP address that from its perspective you're coming from, which is of course your home or your office. Now Let's say you are out there and you're saying, but Noah, I don't have a home over an office. What do I do? Well, you could go over to DigitalOcean, spin up one of their their cheap little droplets, and you could run your own VPN server like WireGuard or OpenVPN on that DigitalOcean server. Then you could connect to it and you would accomplish essentially the same thing. Of course, you're going to originate in DigitalOcean's data center. Now, where might that not be appropriate? Well, to a certain degree, self-hosting is great, and I advocate it for it all the time. But at the end of the day, part of the idea of VPNing into a service provider is that you're obfuscating your own traffic. In other words, that is to say, I'm mixing it with a bunch of other people, so there's nothing really distinguishable about my traffic. If uh, somebody wants to watch my outbound connections from my ISP or from my office ISP, simply using a VPN to connect back there isn't going to give me any particular privacy. And so where people start to get into private internet access and some of the other ones is that I connect to a, a generic VPN server and Joe connects to a VPN server and Ryan connects there and Michael connects there. And so all of our traffic is sent together and comes out. And so somebody looks and says, well, who was it that visited destination Linux.network? Well, we look at the logs and it shows that private internet access vision, uh, you know, visited destination Linux.network. So we go to private internet access and we say, who visited this site? This says, we don't keep logs. We don't know. Come look. And so they look and say, yeah, we don't really know. Well, who do you have subscribed as customers? Well, here are the people that pay for it, but they all tunnel through this one service. So they all look like they're coming from the same place. In my first example, if that same scenario played out, I said, who came to destination Linux.network? Oh, Noah's office did. We go over to Noah's office. Who has, who pays the bill for this ISP? Oh, Noah does. Okay. Noah must have been the guy that went to destination Linux.network. And so uh, if it would, depending on what you're trying to achieve, you, you, we, we say the word privacy and it, ha it may have different meanings depending on what we're trying to achieve. And so sometimes self 
some, so, sometimes self-hosting may be appropriate. Other times, not so much. Yeah, no, you nailed that. I, I don't have anything to add. That's exactly what I was thinking with this was the ability of utilizing one of these services to combine the traffic, in which case, mm. if you're using your own VPN, even on a digital ocean or any other service for that matter, I guess you could turn logging and things off, but I wouldn't think it would be they wouldn't have the same amount of security practices by default that you would get in something like a Pia VPN. Sure. Your ISP is still going to know at the at a minimum what websites you what website what you know what websites you went to unless of course you're encrypting your DNS traffic and and but even then you still got an IP connection from your ISP to the server's IP right so there's there's some logging there yeah so you That's don't really get the info so you don't want them to hack it so you put your packets in a jacket <laughs> <laughs> oh man wow he That's did a good it one, Michael you're a poet and you didn't even know it Michael <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. This only works if you have a DLN mug. Fill it with <laughs> some coffee or bubbly. Sit down at your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. If you'd like to participate in the discussion, you want to join the community, you want to have your voice heard, then join us on the DLN forum by going to dlnform.com. This episode of Destination Linux, hey, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With managed MongoDB, you can focus mo more on building high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. I tell you what, there are so many times where I go to set up, I want to try a new service or I want to try a new piece of software. And before I can get to even logging into the software to see if it's even something I want to use, I have to set up the database and I have to create the users and, and, and set the permissions right and do all of those things. That's not the stuff you want to spend your time doing, not in production or when you're testing. And DigitalOcean allows you to offload all of that administration and let them handle all of the provisioning and the managing and the scaling and the updates and the backups and the security and all that stuff. DigitalOcean has figured it all out and they've automated it and they've built it into their easy and intuitive to use dashboard. Now, DigitalOcean built the service partnering with MongoDB and together they've ensured that you're going to have access to all of the latest resources of MongoDB and a database as they become available. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, DigitalOcean wants to help you get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because they're going to give you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. That's do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, do.co slash DLN dash Mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's managed MongoDB. And of course, a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. You know, when we start talking about uh, evaluating things in the community and we bring this stuff uh, this stuff up in the news segments and we talk about this, these things on our individual shows, a part of it is trying to call out good actors in the community and celebrating the success and good things that people do as well as pointing out the bad actors to say, hey, these people are really not doing a, a great service to the Linux community and and we should call call those people out and we should talk about that. Well, one of the things that we want to uh, call out today is negativity and the, it's all, the 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 example that i would use is the the traditional monkeys in a barrel you have this deep barrel and if monkeys wanted to crawl out if they were kind of helping each other out and one was lifting one up and one was lifting the other guy up and in a matter of minutes they would be able to get out of the barrel and then they'd be able to pull each other up and eventually they would rise up and, and and be above it instead what seems to happen is somebody tries to make a little bit of a climb and admittedly sometimes they make a bad decision they make a mistake they misstep the problem becomes that we as the community, 
we're we're quick to to jump on them and pull them down and tear them down and tell them why they're terrible people. And we instead of attacking the technical decisions, instead of attacking the mistakes and pointing them out in a gentle in a gen, gentle rather uh, constructive like manner, we tear everybody apart. And that begins to destroy the community. It begins to eat the community from the inside out. So I want to open this discussion topic and talk a little bit about some of the examples that we're finding of this these kinds of things. So it was interesting to me because I was watching American Idol one time with my wife. It wasn't because I wanted to, but there was this one <laughs> scene. No, I'm teasing. I really wanted to. There was this one scene where it was Simon Cowell, and he said this about Americans, but I really think it's anybody, but I thought it was really interesting. He said, I've never seen people who work so hard to build up a celebrity to this incredible idol. Mm. And then as soon as they get there, work so hard to rip them off and, and take them off of that pedestal. And and I kind of feel like in some ways, this is the result that I see in the Linux community. There are several examples, in fact, that I can give here where it's it's caused entire projects to just go away because of the toxicity or the, the anger towards them of doing something that some individuals may not like or believe in. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say there's not room, obviously, for criticism, but a lot of it is the way some of this criticism takes place. But some examples of projects, even recently, they're getting beat up really bad. And, and some people can take it way too far as System D. I mean, System D has just been beaten down by a big part of the community, even though it's provided so many amazing things. And maybe some of that stuff you don't like, but that's what's great about Linux. You got choice. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. Um, Firefox. I mean, I think Firefox may be a project that isn't around in the next five, 10 years. It's possible. And if people keep just beating them down for any mistake they made and not look at the huge road out there of all of the amazing things that this project has done over the years and just say, yeah, but they did this one thing that I don't like. And so I'm done and I hate them and I hope all of them crash into a tree and all <laughs> the crazy things that sometimes people do. Uh, Unity, Glimpse, Tenacity, Snaps and Flatpaks, Arch on the Steam Deck, Pipewire, mm -hmm. Pulse Audio, all of these projects to me, we're looking to solve a issue, and it may not be an issue you personally care about, but they also are ones that I've seen extraordinarily toxic attacks on. And I feel like in the Linux community, we need to step back and look at, are we eating our own here? Yeah, Because we have bigger enemies than Firefox yeah. <laughs> and System D and uh, Snaps and Flatpaks that we need to overcome. Yeah, I think it's very important to also clarify that when we say negativity, we're not talking about negativity necessarily because negativity can be valuable. We're talking about toxicity because mm -hmm. people have had threats put against them. And that that's, of course, insane because we're talking about software, right? But the result of this kind of exaggeratory or sometimes even uh, pitchfork hunting of projects is that we discourage innovation. Uh, you know, we, we make the developers mm. and the community not want to engage with the rest of us and that sort of stuff. So, you know, possibly make Linux as a place that people don't feel welcome. And that is something that would be the complete opposite of what the vast majority of us in the community want. And I know that for the Destination Linux Network and our community, we are that's one of the main focuses is to make sure that everybody feels welcome when they try to join the community. And, you know, this kind of, you know, toxic attacks on some people is, you know, what is, is a very big blocker of that sort of feeling. And as an example, like Ryan said, Mozilla has done extraordinary things for open source and mm -hmm. security over many, many years. Of course, they stumble sometimes, but the big picture is that they've done a lot more good than they have done bad. 
It's easy to get caught up in the hype, right? Yeah, yeah. It's for sure. It's easy. Sometimes you see these articles roll in and, and everybody kind of is getting angry and it sounds like you should be angry too. And so the natural thing is to jump in and get angry. And then you kind of, and then a couple of days pass and you're like, oh, that's not what that person really meant or said or what, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's happened. I, I yeah. mean, I, there's, there's times where also people misconstrue what something is as if it is toxic. That happens too. But there is a, there's definitely a, a fine line to balance on. And I think that, you know, we just have to, as a community, think about, are we putting our best foot forward? Are we trying to lift up those projects or are we trying to take them down? Like we've been talking about with System D, they continue to get articles and websites and personal attacks, including this week with, with regards to security flaw, which has already been fixed and required local access. Yet people are already using this as proof that System D shouldn't exist. That argument has been going on for years. Yeah. And if you don't want System D, you can use other distros like DevOne, <laughs> which is free of System D. Yeah, sure. And you have choice in the community. And another one that uh, Ryan touched on was Tenacity. And we won't go through all the all of the negativity that took place with this project. And quite frankly, it was uh, toxic and shocking and depressing and it honestly almost made me cry it was it was a horrible thing and then we have unity unity desktop environment from ubuntu is something that some people talk about with fond memories but during its development remember those days mm -hmm. it was often used as a target for toxicity and it you know it improved dramatically and now it's it's one of the you know a lot of people love to use unity and then there are is the whole argument with flat packs and snaps. You know, here is a real problem these universal package systems are trying to resolve, yet both continue to have people hate on them. And I love the fact that we have flat packs, snaps, and app images. The more the better. Yeah, you know, then you have you have more choice. Yeah, I think the the flat packs <laughs> and snaps it's it's kind of interesting how some people are attacking like their attack snaps for one thing and then also another group just finds something about flat packs and in many cases they are saying things that are not true. They're just, you know, spreading mm -hmm. around this misinformation and that is a thing that a lot of people latch onto and if they don't know any better when you first get into Linux, you see all this toxicity around something, it might even yeah. make you not want to stay or completely change the choices you make based on uh, things that are just not true. And Michael, I saw it just today. I was <laughs> trying to fix a problem. I went on a forum. I saw a post about the problem I was having on Reddit and the person's, re it wasn't just one person, it was multiple people's response to the thread was so negative that the replies back was, never mind, I'm going back to Windows. And another person said, this is why I'll never use Linux. I mean, this is no. a recent example just today. Because of the way they reacted to somebody just asking a question for help. And and yes, maybe to you it was a simple question because you've experienced it before, not because you were born smarter than anybody, but to that person, it was just a situation where they wanted help and they couldn't get it. And I saw it just today. Yeah, that's that's uh, unfortunate, but it's a, it's a good example. I've, I mean, I've seen it. I've been in Linux for over 20 years and I've seen it the entire time. I mean, it's gotten a lot better. Like if yes. you go back to the, the late 90s, it was it was a lot more toxic in terms of like in your face. But, you know, it's it's interesting because for a period of time, it was it wasn't that way for like a few years. There was it, it was actually quite good. And recently it's become a little bit more toxic. It's going kind of ramped to the, back up. Yeah, it's yeah. going back to the yeah. old the old experience that I had. Yeah, because 
you know, Noah, there is a place for criticism on some of this stuff. People come up with valid issues when a, a package or something comes around and maybe there's a security issue. Maybe the way it's implemented is sloppy. Maybe it opens up Pandora's box for a whole bunch of new issues. So this isn't to say criticizing or, or bringing these things up is a bad thing. I guess, is there in, in your mind, Noah, a more productive way of going about this? You've been in Linux, you've done shows for a long time in Linux to, to where you're not beating down all, anybody who would want to join or the developers building this stuff, but you're also pointing out, hey, there, there's some issues here. There's some concerns. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing, right? Like there's a, people said a lot of things about Noah July. He doesn't speak his mind that I don't think anyone's ever said that. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, but there, there is right. There is value. And, and at the end of the day, it comes down to a certain level of integrity, right? People have to be able to trust what we say. And so if all we ever said was positive things and everything was happy, go lucky, then I, I wouldn't listen to, to that person and trust that person because I would say, well, they're not, Honest, they, they're either incapable of putting their critical thinking hat on and critically evaluating a situation, or they're just unwilling to be honest and call a spade a spade. And and so neither of those things are productive. Neither of those things are helpful. Neither of those things are constructive to the community. However, we have we have to ask the question: How do we constructively give feedback? And so one of the things that I've drawn a hard line uh, at at my company is we don't allow gossip. Right. We work with problems day in and day out. It's the nature of an IT company is that we're going to fix other people's problems. And so it's not a matter of if you're going to run into friction. It's a matter of mm. when in the day are you going to run into friction? We know we're going to run into friction because we're going to search for problems and then we're going to try to fix things. And anytime we move something, there's friction because that's what happens when something is moved. And so how do we actually address those things? Leaning over the front desk and and talking to somebody and saying, "Hey, did you hear that this is happening or that's happening?" or that's not helpful. Going to a person or a or a place that can resolve the problem that's the first step. And then the second step is that information has to be presented in a way that gives the person that can fix the problem the tools or information or direction to do so. And if we can help people understand a different perspective, one of the first things I tell, Anybody I ever work with or works for me, the most valuable thing you can do is help me understand a different perspective. Give me a different perspective. And when we do that, that's where you really start to see the power of multiple people with multiple perspectives, multiple walks of life, all coming together to say, hey, this is how we could fix this problem. And that doesn't occur, one, when we get sidetracked with personal insults, when we get drawn into the I'm angry at the person or upset with the person or here's the person's address or here's where we find the person or none of that is helpful or constructive. And then the second part of that is once something has been said, once you we've made a point, once the point is well understood, let's not beat a dead horse. That person is aware of it. If they wanted to fix it or they're willing to fix it, they will. Now let's back off and give the person some rope either to hang themselves or to climb somewhere and then support them in the process of climbing somewhere, which is hopefully the decision that that they make system d just to, to 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 put some of that into a practical example if you work in the server environment and maybe you don't and that's why you don't understand but if you work in the server environment then you see that we've literally gone from minutes 10 15 minutes to reboot a server to seconds and that is that saves money it saves time it saves stress when you're rebooting over an ssh connection uh, but <laughs> but all of those mm -hmm. things are are massive improvements you can go to writing a system d modules literally like four or five lines right so it 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 changes 
from a system administrator's perspective, changes everything drastically. Now, was there some was there some heartburn while we transitioned um, from system view init? Yeah, of course. Were the mistakes made? A hundred percent. But at the end of the day, it was the right decision. It was a better piece of technology. It's definitely where we wanted to be skating to. And so the fact that years later, we're still having that conversation or still having that discussion is kind of silly. Like you said, if you don't like it, don't use it. It's not like there aren't other options. At the same time, be willing to consider a different perspective. Be willing to shift your paradigm to understand right. what somebody, where somebody else is coming from. It's really an important part of leadership. As you grow your own career and things, you quickly realize you have to be able to actually have a saying that to be a good leader, you have to be bipolar because I have to change my personality constantly to who I'm dealing with. And you have to put yourself in those other people's shoes. A lot of these projects are volunteer work. They're individuals who go home, they have families, they have jobs, they have other things that they're working on. They're doing this in their spare time and gave it to the whole community for nothing, for nothing in return. And as a result, if they get beat up for that, do you think they're going to be encouraged with their talent to keep doing something else? Probably not. Personally, I realized that this was something too that I had to check my passion on because if you look at episodes back in the past, uh, I got very upset with the way that Linux, a lot of the distros in Linux were treating hardware enablement. Because I saw this as the opportunity, the same one that Valve and Steam found, that Linux is not just the server world and it's not just for old hardware. It is for the latest and greatest stuff. And there was one issue, and by the way, after getting the 6700 XT yesterday, the issue unfortunately still exists, where our hardware enablement stacks do not get updated quick enough in these distros, anything that's generally not ruling. And I got fired up and mad a couple episodes at this because I was so passionate that it needed to be fixed, but honestly accomplished nothing with the emotion in it. And it's what I tell my employees all the time is remove the emotion out of the email. And then what you're left with are the facts. And then we can do, we can deal with it from there. So it's just something, like I said, everybody gets in there. We all get caught up into these things where we see this news. It seems like all the stars align that this is the person that's definitely wrong and let's get them. Uh, and then we find out, in fact, that's not the case. Or even if it is, that we don't overreact. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. As I think this is an important thing for us not to just say this is a, a behavior that is not good for the community, but also own up to our own shortcomings here, right? Now, I don't, I don't think any of us have ever been toxic about any of the projects we've talked about, even when Ryan was upset about I'm stuff. I'm toxic about you, but... I mean, that, of course, naturally. <laughs> but That's justified. <laughs> okay, thank you. I don't think any of us have been toxic. I think we've been overly negative before, for sure. And I've done this in, my, in the past, of course. Like, the, you know, Linux and open source is a topic that I'm very passionate about. So sometimes I may take it a bit too far with the construction cri constructive criticism so that it actually turns into something that is akin to being just overtly negative. Uh, my intentions are, of course, is to help, but I think it is fair to say that I've gotten carried away a few times for things like Linux Mint or the GIMP Mint. image. Mint. I, I, I acknowledged it. And the and the, the GIMP image editor, I've, I've and probably some others, but I think it's okay for us to have criticism for you know anything necessarily. If, you, if, you, if it's something you see as a possibility of improving it, then you know, let them know. But to, we need to express it with the goal of helping improve the ecosystem. And criticism and constructive criticism, there's a very fine line to balance there. 
Yeah. And, you know, the beauty of Linux and open source is in its diversity. You know, for one creation and innovation progresses another and improves and builds and fills our right. beloved ecosystem with choice and penguin love. <laughs> That's a good, I, Jill, but <laughs> talk about your neg all the negativity you have. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. like you, this mountains. is kind of a confession. Mountains Let it out, Jill. Let all that negativity <laughs> out right now on us. I just, I love the diversity in Linux. It, I say it let the hate out, and she starts with, I love, and it fills me with joy. Well, that, that, is, that is quintessential Jill right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where I, I guess where I would leave it is um, when you're approaching these things, if it's from the community member standpoint, whether you have a platform and you're currently speaking on that platform, or if you're sitting off in the distance and just kind of absorbing as, that as you're listening to that discussion occur, what I would encourage people to do is first seek to understand, then be understood. First, understand where the other person is coming from, where their perspective is, where their social paradigm is, and make sure you have a complete understanding of that. Then Present your own view and say, okay, well, have you considered this perspective? Are you aware of these factors? Do you care about these factors? And oftentimes, that's a real short way to end the discussion right there, right? Is you'll say, have you considered these? Do you care? No, I don't care. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now we understand where you're at as a project. You don't like... If on the other hand, though, you say, do you care? Have you considered this? And the answer you get back is, yes, I very much care. Yes, I, I hadn't considered that. Thank you for pointing it out. How do we move forward? Now communication has occurred now discussion has occurred now uh perspective has been increased and and a, and the possibility of a constructive solution emerges right and i would also encourage to speak from a value-based perspective understand what you value first if it's privacy if it's uh if it's project integrity if it's project security if it's uh project outreach what are the things that you're looking for from a particular project or for, from a particular project leader and see if that aligns with your own value system and then once you've done those things be willing to shift your perspective be willing to change your own social paradigm to understand what maybe the project leader set out to do and why it is they're making those decisions. And I think if we if we do that, we'll either very quickly arrive at a fact where, hey, we just need to maybe make a fork. We need to make a, a split because we don't agree here. We don't agree with values or we don't agree with perspective. Or, hey, I didn't understand that. Thank you for pointing that out. Or I'm glad I was able to point that out to you and that you didn't understand that. And, and, and now now you do. Yeah, I, I think it get, I guess it boils down to this. Negativity can be constructive. Toxicity is not. At what point does mm. it make sense for people to make threats of harm to others over Never. software, right? Yep. This is Linux. There are choices. And that's one of the greatest things about it. That's what makes it awesome, really. And, you know, we've, we've actually received so many compliments recently in our community and how kind everyone is. Everyone loves the DLN community. Because, you know, we we are, are you better. positive oh. and we lift people <laughs> up. <laughs> and all the developers, you know, all our patrons and our developers and everyone in the community that does anything in Linux. And even if you're just a viewer, we love you for that. And, you know, we want to lift people up because, you know, sugar is better than vinegar. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. definitely yeah, I, a thing. <laughs> I feel like we could get so much more done in the community if we're not eating our own. And, and our community mm -hmm. is uh, honestly one of the nicest communities out there. Like if you if you look how people interact. But I'll tell you, at times we've seen one individual come into a room of thousands and completely wreck Mm -hmm. the, the whole vibe of a room because they come in and every distro stupid, everything that anybody likes is dumb. They just completely come in like a wrecking ball. And you're like, boy, you'd be fun at a party. 
Uh, <laughs> Right. And, and and you just you've got to you know we what we try to do now is when when it gets called out to the point where a lot of times people will start telling us hey look it's it's actually the chat is bad I don't even want to go into it because when this person's there there's so much toxic as we pull that person aside and be like hey you know learn to express yourself uh, it's not only going to help them by the way when we take the time to do that if they take the feedback which a lot of people do it's not only going to help them interact in a room but it's going to help them with jobs and other things nobody wants to work with a person that ever Everything that comes out of their mouth is negative and anger and, and all of those things. So uh, I appreciate our community. So big thanks to them. And they've also kept me straight several times when I veer off path and pull me aside and be like, hey, Ryan, calm down, dude. It's not that important. It's just a it's just a video card. And I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> Do you I understand? Mean, I mean, it's definitely it's just you say. You know, you're talking about like the person coming in the room and, and kind of pulling down the vibe. And, and it's I think it's really interesting because it's like the being negative is easy. Being positive is difficult. And we need to mm. put some you know effort into that and also take the words from a great historical figure, Jackie Moon, the owner, head coach, starting power forward and pregame announcer of the ABA's Flint Tropics. We only what? have one rule on this team. ELE. Everybody love everybody. Let's make it tropical, people. Penguin hugs. I feel like we were on a vibe, and then you threw in some random person I've never heard. <laughs> Who is Jackie it's Moon? A, it's from a movie called S- Semi Pro. It's it's, okay. it's a fun right. movie. You should check it. And, out. It's about, <laughs> and this is this features this sport ball thing. Yeah, huh. it's a it's a it's a basketball thing. You know, you know. They it's, throw pigskin stuff no, around. It's, not, it's football. What? It's basketball. Oh. basketball. Oh, the orange one. Yeah, yeah, oh, the yeah, one the that bounces one. a lot. The orange. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, for gotcha. sure. <laughs> everybody love everybody. Come on! Speaking of loving things, we love the sponsor of this episode, and that is Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager that is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides these tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate these pa- your passwords for you, and even automatically fill them in into password for- like to login forms and stuff like that so you don't have to do it, which is awesome. And you can have access to across many different types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, uh, desktop applications, and even the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption so you know that you're the only one who has access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can start it for free? Well, you can, but I think you also want to check out their premium accounts because they give you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitware Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. And you get all of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get access to all of these great features and you get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are safe and secure. In addition, if you have a family members that you want to help get started with Bitwarden, they have family accounts, so you can set it up for them and make it a lot easier for them. You also have business accounts, enterprise accounts, so much great features with Bitwarden. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. And something really exciting has happened in the community. The open source smartwatch by Pine64 called the Pine Time is available for ordering now to the general public. And it's what they are calling a sealed version. Not the developer developer kit, but the sealed version. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and as is tradition with Pine64, this device is a fully community-driven side project, which means that it will ultimately... Be up to developers and the end users to make this device as powerful and as popular as we want. 
And it's really cool because the Pine Time is a companion for not only your Pine phone, but also for any phone, tablet, or even PC. That's awesome. It, so this thing must yeah. cost like hundreds of dollars, right? Oh. I mean, hundreds. I mean, look well, at let's that. see. Twenty six ninety nine. The Apple smartwatch is what three hundred bucks. Three forty nine. I think it starts at. Okay. So this is so you could buy ten Pine Times for every Apple Watch. That's going to yeah. be a nice Christmas gift for everybody on my list. Actually, I'm like, I got everyone's smartwatches. Don't ask how much they cost. Actually, you can almost uh, buy every device in the Pine ecosystem for that for what, price. One watch. Yeah, yeah, for one Apple yeah. Watch. <laughs> so what's really cool? Yes, so it's only twenty six ninety nine. So go grab it. You know, it's. it's I did. Yeah. I, I ordered. I ordered mine right away when I saw it come out, and I'm, I'm fascinated by this because. You know, my initial reaction to smartwatches, I got some of the early Apple one, I got the early Samsung one and was trying them out. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it's just another thing I forget to charge. And it really wasn't adding anything except a, also another thing that's constantly dinging of notifications and emails and right. all of these things going on. So I, I kind of was like, I'm not a smartwatch person, I'm not going to go down that road. But when all the health stuff started being added into the smartwatches, mm -hmm. this is where it really changed with me. Things like detecting irregular rhythm, heart rhythms and blood oxygen levels and ECGs and telling me to stand up and telling me I'm not breathing correctly. And these type of notifications were incredible to me. And they're not, it's not the same as going to a doctor. Let's be very clear. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of great technology using four clusters of green LEDs and all this mm. stuff to detect this stuff, but it at least gives you, and it saved lives. It saved many Absolutely. people's lives yeah. where they were about to have a heart attack. Their watch was telling them, hey, your heart rhythm's out of sync. You need to go see a doctor. They go to a doctor and find out they were literally ready to have a heart attack. So these things can be really, really cool and useful. And one of the things that I love about this particular watch is not only the price, but the fact that it does have heart rate detection built in. Yes. And I really would love uh, if, if you all are seeing it the same way I am, as far as the medical side being one of the huge advantages of having this watch, then I would love to see the developers double down there because this is actually the only area of, of significance besides maybe, I guess, cups where Apple open sources their technology when it comes to the medical uh, mm -hmm. pieces that they're using uh, for detection of heart rhythm and other things. That's completely open source. So I feel like this is a huge area where we could make this watch like really sore. Yeah, I oh, think this yeah. is fantastic. And like the fact that they're making it so affordable and that, that sort of stuff, when, when you were talking about how you always looked at the smartwatches, what's the point? I had the exact same experience and, and a very similar turn of events when I decided to start you know, doing some exercise, go running and riding bikes and stuff like that. And I went and bought uh, a cheapo, you know, nothing watch that really has the time and count steps and nothing special. And I was using it and it, and the, the entire time I'm like, this is, this is a waste of money. Why did I do this? And then when I'm actually doing it through the exercise and it's counting and seeing how it's tracking how long I'm running or all that sort of stuff. And it's also like a, you know, $15 product or something like that. Not, not special or anything. It was still so valuable to have that information. And it also was, you know, tracking my uh, heartbeat. I don't know how accurate it was. Probably not very accurate. But it made me think about like when, when we talk, we put this in the, in the show notes, I was curious, like, you know, Maybe this could be a solution and seeing all these different features it has and its price point is, I'm so excited. It's so, not like it's not mm -hmm. worth the 
a, a chance to try it, right? Yeah, at it's definitely. Bucks. I'm gonna try it now. And it's funny because you're going from the like you're going from the end of like the Apple Watch kind of stuff, and then trying to see it from the perspective of that. And I'm going from the uh, who knows what brand this thing is. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't even have a brand on it. So like, <laughs> it's just it's something that I am very excited about, and I also have my order out for it. So uh, I am I am looking forward to trying this out for. You know, all and the to be clear, I don't expect this to have all the features of a oh, yeah, four hundred dollar sure. watch, right? Yeah. I just think there are a lot of things that you can do, and, and we know that that Pine here tends to re- release like pro versions and things mm-hmm. like that. So there will be plenty of potential for update. But if if the developers get in there in the community and we start unlocking more on this health piece, then then the equipment starts upgrading down the line as we get newer watches that will be able to take advantage of that. I could really see that as a great use for this device. Um, you know, it's got good specs too. 240 mm-hmm. by 240 IPS capacitive touchscreen there, which is pretty cool. Uh, any mobile operating system you want to run on it because it's Pine and that's kind of what they do. Um, it's got, you know, just very teeny tiny amount of memory there, um, but it doesn't really need a ton of it too because it's basically just using Bluetooth, detecting heart rates, doing step counting, uh wrist vibrations for notifications and that type of thing. So it's kind of a scaled down version right now of what you would receive for a $400 watch was $27. What do you want people? Well, and I think here's the other thing. I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it. There's the, I want to toy and play with it angle. Mm -hmm. I think the other angle there is you're actively supporting a company that wants to put a device in the hands of its owners that wants to hand you administrative access to that device, which by the way, Google and Apple don't want to do with their devices. Samsung doesn't want you to have administrative access right. to the device that you purchase. And so I think that, again, kind of going back to our, our our earlier discussion, if you're starting from a position of what are my values and I'm looking at supporting an open source ecosystem, well, if nothing else, even if, even if it just turns out to be a rock and didn't get me anywhere, I've still gave, given $30 of of money to a company to support the ongoing development of the next smartwatch or the next exactly. smartphone or the next mm-hmm. smart laptop, yep. whatever it is, a smart laptop, the next laptop. So we can get to a point where the, the we're down the road. If that does end up being useful and Hey, you know what? These health features or these, these notification features or, or these things I was, I, as, as a developer, I was able to write my code and try it out on this thing. And I didn't have to fight upstream to get there because they just made the device and let me use it. And Hey, that really took off. And now all these users are using this really cool thing. Now Pond can come back and say, all right, well, let's develop a 2.0 model. We'll put a little bit more memory. We'll put a little higher resolution display. Here's the things people liked. Here's the things that didn't really matter. And 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 2.0 comes out to be even better. And we have some precedent to say that, don't we? Because this is what happened with the Pine book. Oh yeah, for sure. The Pine book. Went, I actually yeah. had an original Pine book. And then when I played with the Pine book Pro, it's like, yep. wow, because the Pine book itself <laughs> was already very useful to me. The I best took, $100 laptop yeah. you yeah. ever had. I took yeah. it on a tr- on a trip and it I That's I took it. I took it on a trip with another computer and I never even opened the other computer. Like it yep. was so much easier and better to use and to you know when the Pinebook Pro comes out it costs more money but it's also worth it's the best $200 more, computer yes, you ever had. Exactly. Since, since so. we're such fans of Pines, there should be a name for like the Pine fan club like Pineheads or something like that. What do you think? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, we're all Pineheads. <laughs> I saw your note, Jill, in here about yes. the battery life, and I couldn't help but think <laughs> of the Pebble. That's what I was thinking about when I wrote that. Yeah. With this current release of the Pine Time is supposed to have a battery life of up to a week. But my idea was 
like the pebble, let's have one with an e-ink display that can last for months. That 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 could be yeah. something. Uh, <laughs> there, 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 yeah. there could be so many iterations <laughs> of this if people go out and support it. And like Noah was saying, it's so easy to. And even if you didn't plan on necessarily using it full time, I mean, you're just supporting the the ecosystem here. Yeah. Uh, with this, but yeah, there are so many iterations and I know there's so many people who love that pebble watch and still keep it going to this day, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to this day, they've got those things going. So this is really cool. Uh, another great product Yay. from pine. That's very affordable for everyone in the community. So go check it out. Yeah. I'm looking forward to being a pioneer. <laughs> Maybe. No, I like, I like Pinehead, I think. Yeah, I'm a Pinehead. <laughs> I'm just... We should get Pine64. Can we talk to them uh, and, and get them to do Pinehead t-shirts and stuff yeah, for us? Yeah, we'll, we'll make, we'll make yeah. it happen. All right, cool. <laughs> In our gaming section this week, we're going to talk about MMORPG Tycoon. I mm. was looking in Steam for games that Linux users are playing and came across this. So... It's not just me that finds these wacky things out there, guys. <laughs> this is what people were playing out there. It's a single-player world builder game about creating the greatest MMORPG of all time. If you don't know what that means, you're probably not alone. It's a massively multiplayer online role-playing game like EverQuest and World of Warcraft and those type of games would fall into there. So you craft the terrain, lay out scenery to make your world beautiful, raise new land from the seafloor, <laughs> Design appearance in the combat abilities of your games. You make player classes, monsters, and more. You lay out villages and towns, roads, questing areas. It's got 1,300 very positive reviews. But the whole time I kept thinking, is this really just kind of a scam to make people make a game for them? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it reminds me of all these like simulator games. It's, 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 this one's interesting because it's a single-player building of a massive multiplayer thing. That just yeah. that just kind of made me laugh, but I, it reminds me of all these different sim games. Like there's build your own computer sims, and there's all these sorts of things. Like I, I don't really get this kind of thing, but it does have thirteen hundred positive reviews. It's so gotta be fun, it's, right? It's gotta have yeah. some value. I for love it for these sure. sim games. My first sim game ever was Sim Ant, and as stupid Aww, as it sounds like of great. being an ant, I enjoyed the heck out of escaping from lawnmowers okay. and eating the candy the kids dropped in the yard and. <laughs> I can, I honestly, it, it would be man. kind of fun to be a part of Bug's Life and that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe. Yeah. I I always loved uh, the roller coaster Sims, like Roller Coaster yes. Tycoon. My kids love those too. Yeah. yeah I just love making, building my ri my own rides and riding them, which is really fun, and maintaining amuse amusement parks. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, but for the maker of this one, is like pretend to be a game person and then set up all the game elements. Uh, yes. Vector Storm, we're on to you. It's a little sus, but I like it. I like that you make other people make a cool game for you and then you release it. <laughs> we Very can smart. make our own Michael AI, AI MM Morg. <laughs> yeah, you could be Michael Sim. Oh my yeah. gosh. Michael Morg. <laughs> Michael Morp. <laughs> How do you make the people constantly forget the things they're supposed to be doing at that moment, though? Like, that would be the trick. Oh, you, you like have these things, this whole list of stuff you have to do, and the tasks are all like blacked out and things and you can't say what now get to him nothing oh, okay we could we could we could have him like you know setting up obs uh making sure <laughs> may, may, are there squiggly lines yes yeah. so those in the community if you want to help us out and you're a game developer uh michael sim would be what we'd like you to work on thank you 
Okay, something that I think you might actually want to check out is the, uh, instead of the Michael Sim, is the uh, software spotlight for this week, and that is the email client MailSpring. So uh, Thunderbird is usually the go-to open source option for email clients because it's, it's, it's been around for a very long time and all that sort of stuff, uh, but there are alternatives to it. Uh, so Thunderbird is a great option, but it does feel a bit dated at times for some people. And uh, MailSpring has recently uh, switched to a fully open source project. Previously, their sync engine was closed and they had required you to have a MailSpring account in order to use their service. But now you can use their service completely open source. Now, some of the features are still in the pro, pro account, which you, you got to have the premium account for it. But if you want to just use the, the fundamentals of it, there's so many things. You have multiple accounts. You have IMAP support, uh, Office 365 support. It's even got gesture support and advanced shortcuts. It's got a very fast search function. It's got an undo send feature, which is very helpful in a lot of situations. Uh, unified inbox, so much more. And if you want to check it out, it has even a dark mode, which is important for every application to have. If you if you make an application, it doesn't have dark mode. Get yeah, that's kind of a must Get now. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to check it out, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for MailSpring, the fully open source project email client. Well, let me ask you this. You used Thunderbird. That's my go-to. You also used MailSpring for a minute, but yep. I don't think you stayed on it. What are some of the advantages, though, that you saw on MailSpring Thunderbird? Why would somebody want to switch well, or is it just another option? I can tell you I have both of them installed right now and I use both of them every day for awesome. different reasons. So uh, MailSpring is a very nice modern approach to email clients. However, it does have a little bit of an issue, the fact that it's built on Electron. And because it builds on Electron, depending on how um, heavy the load is for the emails, it sometimes has a crashing issue. Now, it's not mm. happened very much, but it has happened to me when I had like a hundred and so emails and so there was a lot of attachments in those emails in a conversation thread. And uh, Thunderbird was able to run those just fine. The problem with Thunderbird is that it doesn't have conversations built into Thunderbird. So you have to kind of manage the stuff more you know, manually and it's a little bit annoying in those cases, whereas MailSpring does a more modern approach. Now, I still use both because sometimes I need to have different features, but for the vast majority of the time, I think MailSpring is a good option. I think both of them, honestly, are good options depending on what you need. How many times have you guys sat down to either maybe write a distro to a flash drive that you go to install and you get an error message, something comes up and it says something maybe like device contains a valid LVM2 member signature. And so obviously the drive had previously been used for something and now you want to repurpose it. You know, there's nothing valuable on it, but you, you, you open up with GNOME disks and you open up with maybe the KDE partition manager and it's just not working. Well, I'm going to tell you about a tool that you can use to reset the device. Essentially, you can use the command wipe FS. Now this doesn't, as the name might imply, erase the file system. Instead, what it's erasing is the table signature for the file system or the RAID or the partition table. And so WipeFS doesn't erase the file system itself. It doesn't remove any data from the device. It simply presents the device as a new device to the computer so that you can then create a partition table and uh, repartition it or write a new image to it, those kinds of things. So to use it, you'll use sudo space WipeFS space and then slash dev slash the device name. Or if you wanted to... If 
if you wanted to wipe just a particular partition, it'd be something like sudo space wipefs space dev slash sda1. Again, the tips and tricks section towards the end of every episode, we try to give you something that either you can learn and 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 continue down your exploration of Linux and open source technology, uh, or even if you've been in the industry for a long time and you've used Linux for a long time, then there, there are some little tips and tricks that we can give you that might be something you've not heard of or might be something you've... Uh, you find useful. We invite you to go back and listen to past episodes to get the previous tips and tricks as well. Stay tuned for future tips and tricks coming on Destination Linux. So before we close out the show, I want to tell you about some events this week. If you've not got enough Linux in your blood yet, you've got a couple of virtual events that you can attend and mm-hmm. get to know some people, build your network out there. This is a big help if you're, you're wanting to get into Linux, maybe change jobs, change careers, get a career. Uh, is to start networking with folks. And what better place than virtual conferences out there? We have the Open SUSE Asia Summit, which is going to be virtual, and it's going to take place August 6th through the 8th. So we'll have links in the show notes, but of course you could just search on that and join up and make sure that uh, you get some great, awesome news going on in the Open SUSE community. And also there is Nest with Fedora. Unfortunately, they're kind of overlapping a little bit because it's August 5th through the 7th. So you're going to have to do some some acrobatics here well, and bounce back and forth yeah, on the, between on the, the two. On the benefit yeah. of that, they're both virtual, so you can kind of maybe do them at the same time. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You, that's true. <laughs> that's true, yeah. So Nest with Fedora is the virtual version of the Fedora Project's annual contributor conference, Flock to Fedora. Nest will be comprised of three days of content, workshops, games, and socializing with fellow Fedorians. Fedorians. <laughs> kind of like the pine heads. There's Fedorians yeah. and pine heads. And, uh, there, there's no admission or ticket charge for Nest with Fedora. However, you are required to complete a free registration, which again, we'll have the link in the show notes. So make sure to mark your calendars for those two events. And you could go hang out with fellow Fedorians and Opasusians and, mm-hmm. and all of those great Linux people out there. And a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our Destination Linuxians. If you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful faces here with us in our virtual 265,000 square foot stadium here. They get all kinds of perks, unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings of the show behind the scenes, of course, and get to come out and hang out with the crew. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at dlnlive.com. And the best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. So we can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go right now to the DLN store. Go to dlnstore.com. You can pick up some swag like T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, uh, backpacks, aprons, all sorts of great stuff. We have the new uh, Linux 91 (laughs) stuff that is awesome there. You can check that out, dlnstore.com. And remember, you can also get aprons so you can twill while you grill, which is, again, not in the notes, but it's going to be for this point forward. Uh, I keep taking it out every time you put it in. I won't won't allow it. Right? dlnstore.com. I'm going to use this as my purse, actually, instead of just (laughs) a lunch bag. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel. Let's do dabbing. (laughs) I didn't do it very successful, but Ryan did it perfectly. (laughs) Lots of practice. Deal and extend. Hardware Addicts. Gamesphere and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. 
And also a quick reminder, the Pseudo Hangouts is happening this coming Thursday, July 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a fun hangout with Eric, Brandon, and the rest of their, their listeners in the community for the Pseudo Show, as well as some people, some other people from the Destination Linux Sometimes Network. we even show yeah, up, Michael, I, and it's yeah. crazy. I'm planning to yes. be there myself, so we'll see. Yeah. I hope to see you there. <laughs> Everyone, have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a Thanks, good week, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. See you next week. Hey, did you hear the news, Ryan? Did you hear it? What's what's the news? Noah doesn't doesn't have, like gossip at his company. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Tell me more about it. 